0: part two of our series entitled The Story. Everyone say the story. The, story. the Christmas story. We're, we, we, last week we started in Luke chapter two, we read verses one through seven, and I talked about making room, making room for Christ this Christmas. Uh, today I'm going to talk you about another topic, uh, you're going to hear about it in just a moment, but second, uh, Luke chapter two, we're going to begin with verse number eight and read through verse number 14. And is that Vanessa? Hi, Vanessa, everyone, give Vanessa a high. Come on, just say hi to Vanessa. Come on, Vanessa came back South Carolina for Christmas. We love Vanessa. Great to see you. Actually, I saw on Facebook you were going to be here, so a little bit of a cheat there. Luke chapter two, verse number eight. And the Bible says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. This morning, over the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this concept, this idea. Suddenly surprised with good news. Suddenly surprised with good news. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, we acknowledge today... Lord, uh, that we need grace in a greater way. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. They've, they've come because they have a spiritual need. That's the only reason that we go to church, because we recognize that we need something in our life that we can't fill. And Jesus, we thank you that you came. You are the one that could fill that place in our life. Lord, I thank you for this message of good news for every person in this room. I pray that you'll give us spiritual eyes to see. God, remove any blocks, any hindrances. Let it not just be another Christmas message, but God, let it be the message of hope for our generation. God, give us spiritual ears to hear and give me a mouth to declare this. I ask this now, Jesus, in your wonderful and mighty name, and everyone said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good news. Good news. It was December 24th, 1987. And the reason that this day sticks out in my mind, because it was the first year that, of Laura and ours, uh, uh, my marriage. And uh, we were living in Tucson, Arizona. We had left Portland, Oregon. We'd gotten married in Salem, Oregon. We left Salem. We moved to Tucson for one year. My mom was an only child. My mom passed away at the age of 53 in 1995, and my goal, my first goal in life was to live beyond 53, so I've made that goal. Come on, that's a good goal, right? And my second goal is to live longer than my dad. He passed at 59, so my second goal is to live past 59. Those those are pretty good goals, right? I make 59, I'm doing good. But my mom loved Christmas. She loved everything about Christmas. And being a single child, she just wanted a really big family. And so this particular Christmas was this very special Christmas because the, I was uh, uh, bringing my bride into our family for our Christmas events. Now, I have a little sister. I have four sisters. My mom actually had five girls. One passed away in miscarriage. But I have four sisters that I grew up with. And my youngest sister, can you put my, the picture of my sister up there for me? I appreciate that. My youngest sister, her name is Saperna. Now, she's about 16 and a half years younger than me. And uh, so you can figure out her age if you want to. But she was about eight years of age, seven or eight years of age in 1987. And I remember for the months leading up to Christmas, she was praying one thing. She was praying that it would snow on Christmas Day. Now, I can tell you one thing about growing up in Tucson, Arizona. That snow on Tucson, Arizona on Christmas Day is about as likely as it is on snow in Orlando, Florida on Christmas Day. Like, it just doesn't happen. You know, Tucson, people from the east, you know, from Canada, from all over, they, they go to Arizona, they go to Florida. It's a Sunbelt state. They go to Tucson to, you know, to escape the cold. And, and so Christmas, it just doesn't snow. I remember in September, October, my sister talking about it snowing, praying for it to snow. Now, some of you know my little sister. One thing I can tell you about her from the time she was a little tiny girl. We used to call her Pippi Longstocking. She's got bright red hair. She's like the life of the party. She's just, but she, since she was a little girl, she's just uh, been a person of faith, great faith. And at the age of eight, I remember her saying, I'm praying that it's going to snow on Christmas Day. And I'm like, yeah, and I believe in Santa Claus too. <laughs> I worked Christmas Eve, December 24th, and on my way from home from work at about 10 o'clock at night, guess what I started to see? Snowflakes. I'm like, no way. Come on. Come on! I'm like, no, I get home, it starts to snow. It snowed all the way through Christmas Eve, and on Christmas morning, we had about three inches of the white stuff in Tucson, Arizona. And I remember our neighbor across the street with a broom out there hitting their palm tree cursing. I can't believe I moved out of the East Coast to get away from this. <laughs> I gotta tell you, we were surprised with good news. And I can tell you the only reason that it snowed on Christmas Day in Tucson, Arizona, December 25th, 1987, because there was a little girl who was eight years old. Her name's Saperna Smith, and she prayed. I believe. It's like I believe. You know, the message of good news is for those who believe. Our story today is around these shepherds that were in the field that night. This was a shepherd's surprise, I like to call it. I want you to look at verse number eight with me. The Bible says there were shepherds out and living in the fields nearby. Now, if you've been to the Middle East, you know that shepherding is even a common occupation today. And in biblical times, it was an extremely common occupation. And these shepherds were not too far outside of Jerusalem by modern terms. They were probably seven, eight miles outside of the city of Jerusalem, just outside of Bethlehem. You know, just a couple of months ago, we were in this region of the world. And what's really fascinating is that 2,000 years later, there are st- still shepherds in the field at night. And for 2,000 years, shepherding really hasn't changed. And I was amazed when we were driving down the road, we actually stopped at a roadside and there were shepherds that were there. And it looked like they literally had just crawled out from underneath the rock. You know who that was? Because they still live in the rocks. When, you draw, when you're going down to the Dead Sea, you'll see this mountainous territory and you'll see these little pockmarks, these little holes in the side of the hills. They're called caves. And many shepherds still live in those caves. They're a fascinating group of people. They haven't really changed much in the way they do their occupation. And this night, this night, the shepherds get a surprise. I've asked myself this question. Why would God appear to shepherds first? I mean, think about it. You know, last week we talked about Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the Roman world, the most powerful leader that Rome ever had, even to this day. He created such an environment in ancient Rome that they were able to have what they call Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome, and Rome prospered immensely under him. They said when Caesar took over, over Rome that the city was made of bricks, and when he left it was made of marble and gold. He was an amazing leader in ancient Roman history. But when the Messiah came, when the good news came, the good news didn't come to Caesar. It didn't come to the high priest in the temple. The good news came to the shepherds. Why do you think that is? I want to propose a couple of thoughts here. The first reason that I believe that the angel of the Lord came to the shepherd with the message of good news is because God wants us to know that he's come for all of us, the very lowliest among us, the message of good news. Paul the Apostle said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. And God, instead, God chose the things of the, that this world considers foolish. You know, shepherds weren't allowed to go, even if they, if they were a Jewish shepherd, they weren't allowed to go into the temple. They were considered unclean because they worked with these animals. They weren't allowed to have the same kind of opportunities and advantages of education that other people had. The world considered their occupation, even in their day, to be the lowliest of low occupations. But God chose the things of this world. The world considers foolish to put to shame those who think they're wise. Not many of us are wise. But God has come to us. God has come to every single one of us when we were in our lowest state. Our lowest state, no matter what age we were, is when we, when we realized we were separated from relationship with God. The first reason that God came is because God wants us to know that he comes to the least of these. He comes to all of us. The second reason that I believe that the shepherd came is because Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's not just any kind of shepherd, he's the great shepherd. Shepherds, when you study shepherds and and you look at their lives and what they do, one of their primary responsibilities is to protect the sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. What Jesus wants you to know today is that he is your protector. The shepherds aren't very smart animals. If uh, you've ever been around sheep, uh, I've only been around them a couple of times. One time I was in London and, uh, or in England, and I, I remember we were out looking at this uh, great big mansion or palace that they have there, and, and there were all kinds of sheep out in the field. And so I, I tried to walk out to the sheep, and I realized that they were they were really fearful and frightful animals. They're, and they're just not very smart. But the shepherd's responsibility Was to protect the sheep. The second thing that the shepherd did. Is that they would provide for the sheep. They would lead them into green pastures. Because they needed to eat. They couldn't figure it out on their own. A shepherd's responsibility was to lead them to a place of provision. Do you not know today that God is your provider and your source? The last reason... Whether well, he's our good shepherd. The reason he came to these shepherds is an illustration to you and I that he is the great shepherd and that his presence is always with us. Yes. Yes. A shepherd would not leave, a good shepherd would not leave their sheep. Their sheep would always have eye contact or the shepherd would always have eye contact with all of their sheep. You remember Jesus told the story about the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one went disappearing? I don't know about you, but if I was responsible for 100 sheep, I'm not sure that I would keep my eyes on on them all the time. As a matter of fact, one would slip off, and I'd say, oh, did we used to have 99? (laughs) I don't think we ever had 100. (laughs) No, that was a miscount. Come on, what's one? But the shepherd, his presence was always known. He is Emmanuel, Jesus. When he came, the message of good news that suddenly came to these these shepherd men in the field that night was a message that the good shepherd, the great shepherd is our prince A peace. And his presence is always with us. His presence is always with us. He is Emmanuel, the God who is with us. The angels came. The angel came to the shepherd that night, and the Bible says that they were terrified. I I, I don't know. I've never seen an angel. I've heard people tell me they've experienced angels. I've heard different ministers talk about angels. I personally have never seen an angel. If you look at the story, look at the story of Christ's birth, there were lots of angels. When you look at the biblical account of human history, you will see from Genesis to Revelation that angels... Are God's ministering servants. Angel appears to them suddenly, suddenly appears to them. And the Bible says that they were greatly terrified. You know what they were terrified? They were in awe. There was something, there was something that was beyond human expression that came into their world. When the presence of God comes into our world, it brings a sense of awe, a sense of God is with us us. The second thing that I want you to see is that this announcement, this announcement surprised them. The Bible says, but the angel of the Lord said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. A message of good news. Don't don't fear. Fear not. When the angel came to Mary, when Mary discovered that she was pregnant, the, the Bible says that the angel said to her, fear not. When the angel came to Joseph, the Bible says that when the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph about the coming child that his wife was going to give birth to, he told Joseph, fear not. And when the angel comes to these shepherds, the angel that night said to them, fear not. I, I, I don't know what's happening in your world. I know that last service, that we had someone in the service that was going through a very difficult, dark time in their relationships. And I saw that person as they came forward for prayer. And I could just see, I could see the inner conflict and the inner turmoil. And I realized that this message today was for them. They needed to hear the angel of God, the messenger of God, speak to them. Fear not. Fear not. If you don't have something today that's causing fear of your future, you're going to have it tomorrow. Every person in the room is confronted with this challenge of our life, of opportunities and times that things are out of our control. And the angel of the Lord came to them and said, fear not. The word of the Lord for you today, the word of the Lord for every person in this room today is fear not. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 43 as they put it up on the screen. The Bible says, but now thus says the Lord. Who says it? Lord. Come on, who says it? Lord. Thus says the Lord who created you, oh, Jacob. Jacob, the Bible, his name literally means deceiver. Tricky one. God called him exactly who he was. God called you exactly who you are. When the word of the Lord comes to you, God speaks to you. He calls you by name. My name is Junior Smith. You might know me as Eugene Smith, but, but I, I grew up my whole life being called Junior. Saperna, we call her Perna. She still calls me Junior. I'm 55 years old. I'm Junior. God speaks to me, oh Junior, and he who formed you, oh Israel. When he comes into our life, he changes our name. He gives us a new name. Come on, he gives us a new name. Israel, Israel, O oh Smith, O oh Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Come on, there's no need to fear today. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no Their message today was a message of good news. It was a message there is no need to fear. This message is personal. This message is to you. He has been born for you. For you. He's been born for you. He's been born for you. Yesterday in our freedom seminar, Friday night in our freedom seminar, uh, one of the young men up on the stage, he was on the worship team. He was wearing a t-shirt, and it said, Jesus loves you more than Kanye loves Kanye. <laughs> I am like, I just had to. Some of you saw me like, Kanye who? <laughs> He's this guy, real famous. Got his wife named Kim, and Kim. Uh, Jesus loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved. The world, all the world, the whole world. Red, green, yellow, black, white. This is not a white man's religion. This is not a black man's religion. This is not a red man's religion. This is not a brown man's religion. This is a message. This is a hope for the whole world. The whole world. God loves you. He loves you. This is a message for you today. This is a message today that's for our present. Today in the town of David. The town of Bethlehem. The place of bread. The place of God's provision. Right now, there is no more waiting. Come on, there is no more waiting. There is no need to delay. Today, the Christ has been born. Listen, what are we waiting for? What are you waiting for today? Paul the apostle says, for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor for you, for you. Yes. He's the God of your present. He's a right now God. Yes. He's a right now God. Yes. Oh, He was with you yesterday, but He's with you today. Yes. I, I was—I have these moments in my life. I'm like—I like—I'm saying to myself, like, my life can't get any busier. Like, this is like the busiest weekend of my life. Thursday, I was thinking about Friday, and I was, then I was, Friday, I was, I was thinking, okay, I got Friday, we got this freedom seminar, and I'm finishing Thursday message for Sunday, and I'm thinking Friday, and I got to do the message, opening message on Friday night, and then got to get that ready, and then Sunday, I got to preach three times, two, three baby dedications, uh, some kind of something after this service with the family, and then growth tracks in the night. Now, I don't know, just, just come try this sometime. <laughs> I just hand you the mic, just come, you know, I'm like, whoa. It's, it, there's, there's, just, you know, there's a natural reality of me having to get ready and prepare for all these different things that are going to happen. And I was feeling overwhelmed. But I couldn't go to tomorrow. I had to stay into today. And you start projecting into your future and how this is going to happen and what job I'm going to take and who am i am going to marry and where am I going to go. And God's going, no, 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 no. I am with you. I got good news. My presence is with you right now. Now is the time of God's salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. It was a message for you. It was personal. It was in your present. But it was also in your future. It's prophetic. It's a prophetic word. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And you will find him. This will be a sign to you. And you will find this baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. There's a prophetic word. God's speaking forth his word for you. For your yesterday, for your today, and for your future. Prophetic word. Do you know, do you know that when Christ came, born of a virgin, that he filled a prophetic promise that God had made through a prophet by the name of Isaiah 700 years before? 700 years before. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the Bible says, for for the Lord himself will give you a sign, this virgin, this virgin, and she will conceive and give birth to a son. And he will call himself Emmanuel. The hope of the Jewish people. While they were under the Roman oppression. While they were were not able to make their own rules and live by their own guidelines. God said, I'm going to send forth a deliverer. I'm going to send forth a deliverer. And he's going to be Emmanuel. Something happened in 1947 that was highly unusual. There were some shepherds out in the field one night. True story, 1947. There were some shepherds out in the field one night, and they stumbled upon these big holes, these big holes in the ground caves. And they took some rocks, and they were just playing around, and one of the young men threw this rock into this hole, and he heard something break. He heard something at the bottom of this hole break. And, and so immediately, him and this buddy, they started trying to figure out how to get down to this hole. And, and the one young guy was looking for some some new shoes. He wanted to make some new shoes, and he thought maybe he could find something down there that would help him. And, and so he goes down into this cave, and he finds these manuscripts. He doesn't even know what they are. He's uneducated, can't read, finds these old, some kind of documents, and he takes them out. And, and he thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't turn these into shoes. Maybe I should show these to my priest. And so he takes him to his priest, and and immediately the priest kind of has a sense that these might be important. And and so he gives them hundred bucks. Gives them 100 bucks for him a hundred bucks from immediately he gets on a plane and he flies. This is 1947. Immediately he flies from Israel to New York City and it takes him to a museum. And what he discovered, what he what they discovered in 1947 were these ancient documents called the Dead Sea Scrolls. You can Google this. I'm not going to give you the whole story on them. But the most important document, they've actually built a museum in Jerusalem today around this book, the book of Isaiah. The most important document, the book of Isaiah, the book, actually, the text that they found on these ancient scrolls predates the birth of Christ by several hundred years, the oldest ancient manuscripts that we have of the biblical record. And you know what they found? They found that there was no variation. They found that the same book of Isaiah that was written some 300 years before Christ was born was the same book of Isaiah that Jesus opened when he was in the temple and he opened the scroll. It's the same book of Isaiah that you have every time you open. Come on, every time you open your Bible, 2,300 years later, we have a more sure word, a prophecy. God's word is true. It's for you Today, God has a word for you today. The last thing that I want you to see this morning is that they had a suddenly, there was a sudden surprise that came into their life and it was the host of angels. The Bible says suddenly a great company, the heavenly host appeared. A great, a great host of heavenly angels began to sing. God showed up in their world suddenly. I have a love-hate relationship with suddenlies. Because suddenlies generally mean that something isn't in my life isn't quite right. Suddenly means that I need God to do something in my life generally. Or suddenly it's a surprise that I wasn't plan, planning on having. And, and what I've discovered in life, I don't necessarily always like surprises. These angels showed up, and it was a suddenly in their life. You see, because many times, suddenly's come into our life in the form of tests and trials and troubles. You know that place where you just can't fix it, where you can't solve it? There's a situation or a circumstance, a relationship, a financial need, a child. There's something in your life that you can't, can't fix, what happens in their life is that God has a sudden surprise for them. God has a sudden surprise for you today. It was 1992, and Miss Laura and I were living in Seattle, Washington, and we had started a church in the inner city of Seattle called Seattle Tabernacle. One of the ministries of Seattle Tabernacle was. Uh, a program was an outreach into the children's minute to the community, called Saturday Safari. Saturday Safari had been a very effective ministry for us in reaching into the inner city community. And uh, we had literally, by this time, within a couple of years, we had hundreds of children that were coming to our program. But one thing I discovered about ministering to children is that children don't tithe. We take an offering once a month or every week over there and we send it to missions and you know we're grateful for we're teaching the kids to give and to tithe, but it's just it's not paying for the electric bill. It's not doing you know we understand that, right? And so we had to raise money. We had to raise money, we had to raise support for this inner city ministry. And, and the ministry was really, on one end was very fruitful. We had great outreach, we're seeing great harvest. God had blessed us in many ways. We were having many, many people help us, and the, the church was growing. It was one of the fastest growing churches in, in the inner city of Seattle at the time. And I remember one night, it was a Saturday night, and I needed it suddenly. I was so discouraged. I was so despondent. I just couldn't make, like, God, you called us to this. God, you, look at all you've done here. But there's no money. There's no money to pay the bills. There's no money to pay electricity at the church. Lord, there's no money to put, to put gas in the, in the vehicles to pick the kids up. There's just there's no money, Lord. We were probably down to the, I mean, literally maybe $100 in the church checking account. And one of the ways that we would raise support for this ministry is we would take a group of kids out and we would sing in different churches in the community. This was on a Saturday night, and the next day we were to go to this church, and it was a church called Shoreline Community Shoreline Community Church. It was a fairly large church in the Seattle area, and we were going to take the kids, and they were going to sing. And I remember on that Saturday night just feeling like, you know, I told the Lord, I said, we just can't keep going. We can't, the ministry just can't, I can't keep doing this. This is so difficult and so hard. The next morning, the children from the Seattle Mini Mass Choir, that's what we call them. The children from the Seattle Mini Mass Choir, they sang for this congregation. And I shared the vision. And you could just feel something. It was just—it was look. It was like a, a suddenly. Suddenly, God showed up. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit just began to move among the hearts of the people. You could just like feel it, just sweep across the audience. We had a little drummer. He, he was an eight-year-old African American boy, and he was a professional drummer. And then he could play. And the worship leader, she sang incredibly. And the kids, you know, they were, they were like hellions. They weren't angels on the way there. They were acting like demons on the way. But when they get up there and begin to sing, the anointing of God just touched them and filled them. And the church erupted in praise. Come on, the church erupted in praise. And the pastor stood up. I mean, immediately received an offering. And I, I had never experienced anything like this. The people started giving. And over the next couple hours, as we discovered how much they gave that day, that day, they gave over 15,000 dollars. Come on, take it over. I had a suddenly. Suddenly, God showed up. Today, there's someone you need a suddenly today. He's the God of the suddenlies. He suddenly showed up. And there's two reasons. There's two reasons that God showed up at just that moment. First of all, the angels declared. The glory of God. You see, what God in your life wants to get is all the glory. He wants to get all the credit. He wants, bless God, I'm self-made. I've done this. I did this. i bless God. I don't you know, I started this business 27,000 years ago, and I did this. (laughs) So what? It was God that gave you the breath. The Bible says it is God that gives you the power to get wealth, to accomplish his purposes on planet Earth. It isn't about you. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, you know, other passions, in the community, oh, look at God's done in your church. I'm like, I just, I'm just trying to show up. Like, I'm just trying to show up. Like, that's about 90% of life, just showing up and try to do the right thing. Put God first, seek him first, love your wife, love your kids, come on, right? Yes. Pay your bills, come on. Yes. God wants all the glory. Yes. He, will share his, he will share credit with no man. He will not share credit. Hear me today. From the president to the pope, I don't care who it is, to the pastor. He won't share his glory with any man. He won't do it. But the second reason is that God wants you to know today that he's your peace. Why don't you look at verse number 14? Glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. The peace of God. It's first the peace. It's having the peace of God. Romans 5 talks about it in our relationship, our personal relationship with him. We've been made right in God's sight by faith. Because you believed this message of good news, you can now have peace. We have the peace with God because of what Christ has done. What Christ has done. Christ came into the world. This little baby, wouldn't stay a baby. He would walk among us, live among us, dwell among us, the sinless Son of God. He wasn't the Father, but he came to glorify the Father. I don't understand how the triunity of the God works, but I can tell you this today. He was God with human skin on. He's God with us. But he's not just the God who is with us today. He's the God who gives us peace today. Uh, you might be walking through a test. You might be walking through a trial. You might today need a suddenly in your life. I don't know what's taking place, but I want you to know the Bible says to be anxious about nothing, but pray about everything. And this is the result of our prayers to the living God. This is our repra- this is the results. And the peace of God, which transcends all our understanding, will guard our heart and our minds. The peace of God. And then finally, this peace is for you to share with others. This peace is for you to share with others. Paul told the church at Corinthian, be joyful, grow into spiritual maturity, encourage each other. Encourage one another. Live in harmony and peace to the best of your possibility. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. To share this peace with other people. I want you to see this story a lady at City Church who has been touched, first she's discovered the peace of God, and in this season of her life, she really needed the peace of God, and God shows her His peace, and because of that, she's able to share this peace with other people. Check this video out.
1: In 2014, I had to leave my job because the company I had been working for was sold and the new company began asking me to do things that were not only unethical, but illegal. I took a $5 per hour pay cut because I wanted to be right with the Lord. And it was important that I kept my integrity. Doing that put us in a very tough financial situation. During that time, we had opened up our house to some kids that needed a place to stay and some family members. So there was about 12 of us in the house. Times were hard but we got through it every month. Christmas was approaching and we really did not know where the money was gonna come from for presents or anything else. The week right before Christmas, my husband got a call from someone who wanted their car fixed. To our surprise, the repair gave us enough money not only to buy presents for our kids, but we even managed to buy presents for the kids living in our house and a few extra gifts for the many kids that would often visit our house too. I gave each girl that came over to the house at Christmas a pair of earrings. And the boys, I bought a packet of socks and divided the whole packet and bought a set of Star Wars cups and I stuck the, the sock inside the cups and I put them in little baggies and they came over and, and they, I wrote their names on it as they walked in the door so they thought they, that I had presents for all of them, it was so cute, they loved it. You know, having. Having all those kids in our house was a busy time, but it meant so much. It was so much fun to see how the Lord was working in their lives and, and to see them succeed. After that experience, I learned that God is my source and my provider. I know now that there is no better way of serving God than by serving others. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, 24. But the point is not just to live, to get by. We want to live well. Our foremost effort should be to help others live well. And when we do, he will make sure we live well.